This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'm a clinical psychologist. I live and work in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And about five years ago, I wanted to extend the walls of my practice and created this podcast, Self Work. I wanted to reach those of you who might already be quite comfortable with psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy. I wanted to reach those of you who might have just been diagnosed with something or are curious about something that's going on with you but also to a third group, to those of you who might tell someone you know, oh, I'd never darken the door of a therapist, but something has caused you to want to listen for some answers. Welcome to all of you. You know, it's hard for me to believe that I've created 250 episodes of self-work with the incredible and quite talented help of my audio engineer, John Crowley of Loudmouth Studio, and my awesome coordinator, publicist, general cheerleader, (laughs) Christine Mathias. And of course, I want to thank all of you. If I had no audience, there'd be no reason to create another episode. We actually have a fifth anniversary coming up also in about two weeks, and I need to start planning a celebration. I'd love to hear any ideas that you might have. So in preparation for this episode, I had to wonder, what else have I done 250 times? Or even, what have I done for 250 weeks in a row? I can promise you not much. Certainly no diet has lasted that long. These thoughts brought me to the topic of self-discipline and sacrifice. What makes sacrifice and self-discipline worth it? Is self-discipline the same as willpower? What creates self-discipline? Can you learn to have more willpower? What makes something worth sacrificing for? Maybe the greater good, a trait you value like generosity or courage, or something more tangible like money or opportunity? What can cause you to forgo immediate gratification for something where you'll obtain or earn or enjoy something in the future? Certainly for many, having a talent or ability that needs to be honed and takes a lot of sacrifice can be a way out of poverty and a way toward a better life. Is it your fault if you struggle with willpower? We're going to answer all these questions on today's episode of Self Work. If you've listened before, you can probably guess that I don't believe that it's your fault. Nor has that been my experience as a therapist. There are other answers. But I know there are many who walk around shaming themselves for not having enough willpower. The listener email is from a woman who found herself within the traits of perfectly hidden depression and wanted to let me know what had helped her see that and asked about conquering the anxiety of opening up. We'll talk about these things and more in this episode sponsored once again by Athletic Greens. So glad you're here for this episode Let's get down to the business of letting you know what I found in the most recent research on willpower. First, let's define willpower. Just so we're clear, the terms of self-control, self-discipline, and willpower can be used interchangeably. And willpower is defined as the ability to resist short-term gratification in pursuit of long-term goals or objectives. I'll say that again. It's the ability to resist short-term gratification, meaning getting something right now, in pursuit of long-term goals or objectives. It was interesting doing this research because 
There are researchers who have studied willpower and do not agree with one another. In fact, there's even a concept that was accepted as absolutely true because it was replicated frequently, but now there's some people really questioning it. What's that concept? It's something called ego depletion, which strongly suggests that we all have a finite amount of self-control or willpower, like you've got a cup of it, but when you use it, you don't have as much willpower for the following time you need it. Once you pour some out of that cup, your cup doesn't fill itself again. It's emptier than it was. This was actually proven by many studies in the past. And I'll share with you perhaps the most famous ones. First, there was the marshmallow test. Kids were seated at a table, and in front of them on a plate was a big, fluffy marshmallow. The researcher told them right before leaving the room that if they didn't eat the marshmallow immediately, they'd get two when the researcher got back. Seems simple. But what was the difference between the group that ate the marshmallow and those that didn't? At the time of this research, it was in the 60s and 70s, the ability to resist the immediate gratification was found to correlate with all sorts of positive life outcomes like SAT scores and body mass index scores. More recent work has cast doubt on these findings. In fact, somebody tried to replicate it and found that the ability to delay gratification at an early age isn't correlated with better outcomes in life if you control for the kid's family background, such as socioeconomic status and parenting and intelligence, which in the 60s and 70s they didn't account for. What's more, the kids who were best at delayed gratification weren't necessarily intrinsically better at resisting temptation. What they seemed to be doing was using another strategy. What does that mean? For example, they didn't look at the marshmallows. They looked away. Or they pretended the marshmallows had rocks in them. I kind of made that one up, but (laughs) you get the drift. Basically, it wasn't necessarily something about themselves as kids, but they used a strategy to help them delay gratification so they could have two marshmallows instead of one. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, this using your mind to view the test differently. The other famous test involved freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and radishes. One group was told to enjoy the cookies, eat all they wanted. The second group was told they could only have radishes. The study found that after the first group had eaten the cookies, they actually were able to perform better than the group that had had radishes because, the theory was, the first group didn't have to use willpower at all, and the second group had used their willpower up by eating radishes. (laughs) There have been other tests that haven't involved food. If you want to read more about them, the links are in the show notes. But it's pretty confusing. The experts don't agree with one another, at least now. So if you read one article, please don't think that's the truth. It looked to me like the truth is unclear. One American Psychological Association article summarized a whole bunch of research in a bullet list of what had been absolutely proven. Since this whole idea of ego depletion is being questioned, I'm only going to talk about the findings that had more to do with other things, and as always, add in my two bits. And these ideas that I'm going to tell you actually fit in with what I've observed over the years, as so many people who are in therapy are trying to change their patterns of behavior or thinking, and that can certainly take willpower. Here's some of the points they make. Avoiding temptation and planning ahead are effective tactics for maintaining self-control in the face of temptation. This was called the if-then technique. Basically, you have a plan. If X happens, then you'll do Y. You've thought ahead. I like this idea because it also recognizes that you're not in control necessarily of what happens. Maybe the thing you want to focus on is getting someplace on time. 
Well, obviously, you may be able to control some of that, but not all of it. Here's another idea. With the right motivation, you may be able to persevere even when your willpower strength has been depleted. This one makes a ton of sense to me and alludes to what I say in almost every episode of self-work. Hearing from you gives me motivation to continue. Reviews, ratings, emails, speak pipe messages. I know you're out there, and that's motivating. So I've been able to persevere. A third point is it's more effective to focus on a single goal at a time rather than attacking a list of multiple resolutions at once. I see this in therapy all the time. People get demoralized when they try to change multiple things. Slow down. Make a list of everything that you want to happen and each small step to get there. Literally, every small step. Let's say your goal is to make your family dinner and you're not accustomed to cooking. Literally write down all the steps involved. Rather than being stopped in your tracks, literally write down, I need to find a recipe that uses ingredients that you know. Make sure you have the right pots or utensils, ones that are familiar to you. Make a list of ingredients. Go to the store and buy them. All these things are on your list. Read over the recipe again. If there's something you don't understand, watch YouTube. You can see that before you ever open a can or start to boil water, you've gotten yourself prepared. And, of course, you don't want to shame yourself. I shouldn't have to do all this just to make dinner. You're learning. And so if you focus on single steps rather than the whole thing at once, it really can be very helpful. I've used this a lot as a technique in therapy. And the last point they make is... Just as muscles are strengthened by regular exercise, regularly exerting self-control may improve willpower strength over time. I think this point refers to the idea that's coming up next. Basically, you're building habits. You're building routine. You're building the habit of speaking positively to yourself. You're building the habit of breaking tasks down to small steps. And all these habits actually look like willpower. I think this is an extremely important point that I will stress here in a minute after we've heard from Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens came on board SelfWork now a few months ago with an offer for SelfWork listeners to try their product. And because of being a SelfWork listener, you'd receive bonus products as a gift with a subscription. I don't really know how many of you have tried it, but quite a few I can tell. And I'd love to hear from you about how you're feeling. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com because I'd love to share your experience here on SelfWork. So some of you are saying, what is Athletic Greens? It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood power is your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower yourself toward better habits. And it's a lot more pleasant than eating celery, I promise you. I've never liked powdered things, but this one isn't too sweet, but also not too grainy. And I look forward to it in the morning. You're actually just getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis. And you don't have to take multiple supplements. Just one thing. I take a scoop a day and know that I'm getting 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, and more. In fact, I just had my annual OBGYN appointment, and his last words to me were, make sure you're getting enough D3, and the supplement you receive as the self-work bonus with a subscription contains both D3 and K2. So I smiled and said, oh, I got that. 
I hope you'll try it. Both my husband and I love it and have kept it up now for several months because it's making a difference. So here's the link, athleticgreens.com slash self-work. That's, of course, HTTPS colon slash slash athleticgreens.com slash self-work. And I'll have that link for you in the show notes. So here are some ideas about willpower that will help you see that you're not a bad person if you struggle with it. So they've studied these people who are really good at self-control, and they found four things. People who are better at self-control actually enjoy the activities some of us resist, like eating healthy, studying, or exercising. So engaging in these activities isn't a chore for them. It's fun. If you're running because you have to run to get in shape, but you hate running, you're probably not going to keep it up. An activity you like is more likely to be repeated than an activity you hate. Maybe the people who ate radishes loved radishes. (laughs) That would have messed up the results. Or they hated chocolate. I think it's also important to change the have to, I have to do this, to wanting to do it. I think when we tell ourselves frequently, I have to do this, it makes us not like it. It makes us not enjoy it. Of course, there are things we have to do, but choosing something that's enjoyable will be far more sustainable. I know I have used a reward system with myself when I'm trying to do something I don't like doing. I'll give myself a literal treat. It works, not all the time, but a fair amount. So again, you're going to be able to have more self-control and resist temptation, etc., if you like the activity that you're trying to sustain. Number two, people who are good at self-control have learned better habits. This is the point I was making before. There were some psychologists in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that had over 2,000 participants that were people who were good at self-control, and what they found is they also tend to have good habits. They structure their lives in a way to avoid having to make a self-control decision in the first place. So they set up their lives in a very routine fashion, meaning they get up in the morning and they meditate. They get up in the morning and they do exercise. In the middle of the morning, they journal. If they're at work, they take 10 minutes for just a self-aware break, something that gives them a sense of investing in themselves. And actually, you can also have more control or self-discipline by changing a few tangible things. There's a famous story about a therapist who was really very well-known named Milton Erickson. And he was working with a man for one problem, but the man also had a drinking problem that he kind of discounted. So he told Erickson about it. He was open and honest. So Erickson gave him some tasks to do around the reason why he was in therapy. But he said, so just out of curiosity, where do you buy your liquor? He said, oh, there's a liquor store right by my house. He said, well, do you mind agreeing with me that you'll buy it someplace else? And he goes, no, sure, that's no problem. Well, basically every session, Erickson asked the guy to stop at a liquor store that was farther and farther away. The point of the story being that sometimes when you make something tangibly harder for yourself, then you'll reduce your use of it. It's like putting your alarm clock on the other side of the room to wake you up. That's all about planning, not willpower. And it's setting up a routine. Oh, my alarm clock is way over there. Number three, 
Some people just experience fewer temptations. This is genetics. They talked about five big personality factors, extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, and openness for experience. I guess this is studied by a lot of people. Some people who are high in conscientiousness, which is a personality trait largely set by genetics, just tend to be healthier. As this article said, when it comes to self-control, they won the genetic lottery. Some people are hungrier than others. Some people have more addictive personalities. So it's something that you don't want to just resign yourself to, but you also don't have to shame yourself. And of course, this one's kind of a no-brainer. Number four, it's easier to have self-control when you're wealthy. Someone did the marshmallow test with kids who were economically more disadvantaged, and they perform worse. And the theory is when you grow up in poverty, you're much more likely to focus on immediate rewards than long-term rewards because your future is less certain. It makes all the sense in the world. So they really have to look at these results about self-discipline or willpower with a backdrop of what's gone on in these families with these children before they ever got tested. I really wanted to do this episode because a lot of times I think when people fail with willpower, it's confused with a moral failing. We don't understand that we're trying to learn new behavior when maybe it's genetics or maybe there are other things that have to do with our struggle. And one of the researchers I read said, relying on willpower alone to accomplish goals, quote, is almost like relying on an emergency brake when you're driving your car. You should focus on things that drive you toward your goals rather than stopping things that are in your way. What's more, the human emergency brake that is willpower is bound to fail in some instances, causing you to crash. I don't believe anyone can rely on willpower alone. Social support, financial stability, whether or not you struggle with addiction, genetics, changing your have to to want to, choosing things that may need willpower to do that you like. And you can say, see, I have willpower when it's something that means a lot to me or I can see how much it adds to my life. So all of this to say, I've stuck with self-work for 250 episodes, not because I'm such a good person, but I want to do it. I love most of what's involved. I've broken the process down where I know from week to week the small steps of what need to be done. I have a routine, and I'm very motivated when I hear from you that my work and words have meant something to you. You can find this in your own life and prove to yourself that you don't have a moral failing. You're just not setting your willpower up for success. Today's listener email is from a woman who really found herself in perfectly hidden depression. So today I went through the questionnaire and I, you know, I got a lot of yeses and that was really concerning. I feel like I knew I somewhat may have had underlying depression, hidden depression, and this was really helpful, but I really struggled to open up and I really, really don't know how I'm supposed to gain that courage. And this year I've been really getting a lot of anxiety attacks and it's just a lot of self-esteem issues. And this really helps. And I really thank you for the message and just the awareness. 
Of course, I always love to get messages like this because I am trying to reach people about this very dangerous and silent presentation of depression. Opening up about things we've kept secret or have guarded is very hard to do for many people. You add that you have years of covering up and not revealing anything about yourself to anyone. Of course, it's daunting. Let's talk for a second about anxiety. We think of anxiety as an illness. And certainly when you're filled with it from sunup to sundown or panic awakens you at night, you don't feel stable. But I think it's helpful to consider anxiety, especially panic, as your unconscious, or as a book I'm reading currently calls it, the non-conscious mind, is alerting the conscious mind that something is wrong. If you think about it in this context, then instead of needing desperately to get rid of the anxiety, as this listener seems to want to, you'll focus instead on the message and ask yourself, so what is wrong? What is off? Where is my sense of fear coming from? You can sit down and gather your thoughts, or you can talk to a trusted friend and ask for their observations, or you can go into therapy. But how then do you actually begin to open up? I always recommend to people that the best place to start is exactly where you are. You don't want to shame yourself and say, I should be able to talk, or I'm wasting my time and money if I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Instead, instead, start where you are. I'm not sure how to do this. I've hidden things about my past, about things that happened so long ago. I don't know how to open up. And within that minute or just a few seconds, you've opened up by saying you don't know how to open up. And that's where you begin. That's for a conversation with a therapist. But if the conversation's with a friend, you can say, I want you to know something, but the only thing I'm ready to say today is that I avoid anyone, even you, knowing much about me. It's not because you're not a friend. It's because I don't know how. Boom. That's it. You don't have to go further. So I want to say to this listener, your anxiety is a signal. And if you choose to listen to that signal, think about its potential origins, write down what comes up for you, maybe talk to a friend or therapist for affirmation, and then you'll begin to feel more empowered. Thanks so much for sending in your question. Thank you so much for being here at Self Work today. As I've tried to let you know, you are my motivation. And your ratings, reviews, emails, speak pipes, all of that means so much to me. In fact, I'm excited about the idea that perhaps my publisher may even be interested in a workbook for perfectly hidden depression that would take a deep dive into even more sequential steps and easier steps to begin to do exactly what I was talking to this listener about doing. It's not for sure yet, but they're at least interested. We're starting a conversation, and that excites me a lot. Because I think the exercises in the book may be a little hard for people who've never been in therapy. You can get the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's an ebook, audiobook, paperback, whatever you like. And of course, leaving a review for me is more than appreciated. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Thank you again to all you Apple Podcast reviewers. We reached a 1,000 reviews, which I said, but now I can really only see the written reviews. I can tell the ratings are going up, but I can't really see them anymore. So 
I hope you'll leave me a written review there and let me know what you really like, and I'll be happy to read it here on the podcast. I also have a Facebook closed group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're almost up to 3,000 members. It's a fun group, a supportive group, a helpful group. And if you need that kind of support, I hope you'll join us. Thank you as always. Please take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.